Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. There. And then last week I began talking about a series about, uh, began to talk about that the scripture tells us that Jesus, through his blood, has made us kings and priests unto our God. And, um, and I talked about, began to talk about the priesthood of the believer. And what is the priesthood of the believer? And uh, we began to dive into that. And I began by just going through, uh, and I told you that in Romans 1.20 tells us that we understand the spiritual through the natural. And that in the Old Testament was type and shadow uh, for the New Testament. That what you saw in the natural in the Old Testament was an example and was pattern and type and shadow of a reality of the New Testament. And so we didn't have a form of reference for the priesthood in the New Testament other than a few scripture. So we had to go to the Old Testament and look at the priesthood and through that gave us a a picture uh, in the natural of, of... what God wants to do in our lives in the spiritual. And so we talked about uh, some of the priestly garments that the priests wore and that those garments are the same garments that they naturally put on are the same garments that we are to put on spiritually. And we went through each of those and I'm not going to review that. You can go back on Facebook or go back to the website and look at that. But that was important because that's going to lead me into tonight talking uh, I want to talk about the high priesthood. I'm going to talk about the priesthood of the believer. And that uh, I want to talk tonight about Jesus, who is our great high priest, the scripture tells us, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we talked a little bit about that last week. I showed you a couple of scriptures. But I, w- I want to start off with, the, with, the, with the, uh, uh, just reading this passage of scripture in the book of Revelation, which is kind of the baseline scripture uh, in verse Romans one chapter uh, Romans chapter one verse six, and he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And it's a great passage of scripture that through Jesus' blood, he has given us authority in the spiritual realm that he has given us uh, authority to walk as kings and priests. Now here's the interesting thing. When we began to look, Jesus, uh, the scripture says that Jesus fulfilled the law. That he, the scripture says he did not come to abolish the law, but, that, that, but to fulfill it. And that all things should be fulfilled through him. And so Jesus didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the law. And so... But it's interesting, and we'll get into it in just a moment, but an overview is this. How can Jesus be our great high priest? And so how can he be our great high priest? Uh, Was Jesus a high priest? Jesus was not a high priest in a sense. He was a rabbi, but he wasn't the high priest uh, of the Old Testament. He wasn't a high priest in the Old Testament uh, or in the... uh, uh, before the crucifixion, but I want to talk a little bit tonight, a little bit about that. I want you to see a couple things, and I may challenge a little bit of your thinking. I've spent a lot of time on this studying, and spent a lot of time on research and studying, and spending a lot of time 
I've done a lot of reading. I've talked to pastors. I've talked to teachers because I wanted to make sure that biblically I was sound in what I'm about to teach because I want you to get it because if you'll get and understand what it means to live a life under, um, uh, to be a kingdom-minded uh, uh, Christian and understand that your, your priestly place in this world, that you are a priest, that God has allowed us to become king and priest, and I'm hopefully I'll help you bring a little bit of that to light tonight. We're going to start in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, and uh, I'm going to read some scripture. We're going to go to a lot of different places, so hang with me uh, as we rustle through pages and turn to a couple different places, and hopefully I'll be able to make sense of it for you and to you and uh, not bring more confusion to your life than what is already maybe in our lives. Amen? So we'll move toward that. As I said, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And uh, here in Hebrews chapter 7 is a passage of Scripture. And I want us to, this is an incredible passage. I love this passage. Chapter 7 and verse 11, I want to read this to you. It says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priest, for under it the people uh, received the law, now it's talking about the Levitical priesthood, which is the Old Testament priesthood, which they had received the law, right, from Moses, right? If, if perfection were through that, uh, uh, what further need was there for another priest? In other words, if the law was sufficient, why would we need another priest? And the Bible says, but there shall be another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change in the law. Now, what the scripture is telling us here, that the Levitical priesthood uh, that was ordained in the Old Testament uh, was given by Moses. Uh, the law was given by Moses, the the Levitical priesthood, and here in Hebrews it's telling us that there is, because of the lack of the perfection of the law of the Old Testament, that there is another priesthood that is coming after the order of Melchizedek, and uh, uh, not after the order of Aaron, that there is a priesthood change that is coming, and in that priesthood being changed, uh, the, the necessity of that change uh, is coming. And so there's going to be another priesthood. This is the Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 11. And uh, it says it's going to come after the order of Melchizedek. Now, uh, Melchizedek is an interesting word in Hebrew. Uh, he's from the Old Testament. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But the order of Melchizedek. Well, who was Melchizedek? Well, we're going to look at him in just a second. But his name means this. His name, we get his name uh, from the Hebrew word that means it has two meanings. It, one, the first part of his name uh, means king. The second part of his name means righteousness. And so the priesthood that is coming is coming after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek's name means uh, uh, king of righteousness or king of righteousness. So what it's saying is there's a, another priesthood that's coming after the law and it is a priesthood that's after the order of Melchizedek. Now we have to understand that it's interesting that we're going to look at it in a second. Six times 
in three chapters of the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, six times uh, there is the mention of Jesus and his connection to the order of Melchizedek. And we're going to look at that. But in order to understand the priesthood, I showed you the garments last week, we have to go back to the law of first mention. We have to go back to the scripture of when the priesthood originally began and when the priesthood first came. So if you turn to the book of Genesis chapter 14, uh, we're going to go back a long ways in your Bible, all the way to the left. That's the first book of the Bible, in case you didn't know. And uh, Genesis chapter 14. And I want us to see something. We're going to look at the beginning of the priesthood. This is when it's first mentioned in Scripture. Now, here in chapter 14, it talks about a man by the name of Abram. Uh, He's Abram right now, but later he becomes Abraham, right? So he was Abram before God made a covenant with him, right? And when God made a covenant with him, uh, he became Abraham. And so Abraham became the father of the nations. Abraham... Uh, when he made covenant with God, uh, he became a father of the Jewish nation. And so at this time, the Jewish nation was not even born yet or created yet. Matter of fact, at this time, Abram is a Gentile. He is a Gentile. And uh, at this point, before the covenant, he's a Gentile. Now look in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 14. He meets a guy by the name of Melchizedek who is the king of Salem, which was another uh, word for Jerusalem, and brought out a bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High, of the God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of, God, of the God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Now Abraham meets... Uh, this Melchizedek, and the Bible says that Melchizedek is not just some random guy. The Bible says that he is a priest, that he is a priest of what? The God Most High, the Most High God. He is a priest of the Most High God. And the Bible says that he brings a meal to Abraham, and they have this meal together, this time of communion, they have this meal together, and the Bible says that he is a He is a a priest of the Most High God. Not Israel, but a priest of the Most High God. Remember, Abram is a Gentile. So Melchizedek at this point is a high priest of the Most High God, uh, and he's a high priest to Abram, uh, who is a Gentile. And so Melchizedek here is a priest of the Most High God to the nation of the Gentiles. This is the mention of the first priesthood. This is the mention of the first priesthood, and he's a priesthood of the Most High God. Israel had not been birthed yet. There's not been a covenant yet. So this priesthood of Melchizedek, which is established here in Genesis chapter 14, is the picture of the first priesthood that is mentioned in Scripture. And he's a priest over Gentile nations. Uh, Melchizedek's. Now, here's a theme that we see always in the Word of God. God, Paul tells it like this, that God goes from glory to glory. Everything that begins with God, God always wants to increase. Everything that begins with God, God always wants to make better. That as it progresses through the Word of God, God makes that 
whatever he's created and established, he makes it better. In other words, that tells us that God is a progressive God. God uh, makes his covenants better as he proceeds through the Old Testament into the covenant that we have now. How many know the covenant that we have through the blood of Jesus is a wonderful covenant? It is a covenant that is much greater and better than the covenant that they had in the Old Testament. Why? Because God is always making his covenant better. He is always going, as Paul said, from glory to glory. He's always increasing. He's always moving us forward. And so we see here Melchizedek is the first priesthood that is mentioned. And all of a sudden, this priesthood begins to grow. Last week, we went to the book of Exodus chapter 28. And here in Exodus chapter 28, we see the establishment of the second priesthood. That is mentioned in Scripture. And it begins in, in chapter 28, and verse 1. It said, Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Right? Aaron and Aaron's sons. He mentions them. And it says uh, that, that Aaron and his sons and his descendants shall now be a priesthood. Now, Israel now is under covenant. The nation of Israel has been born. Uh, there is a covenant with Abraham and a covenant with, with Moses. This is Moses in Exodus 28 uh, establishing this priesthood. This is the second priesthood. But it's not, they're not only priests, but in this priesthood, you now not just have priests, but you also now have high priests. So under the order of Melchizedek, he was just a priest. But when we come to the Aaron's priesthood, or uh, uh, the Aaron's covenant priesthood, they now not only have priests, but they also have high priests. And so Aaron is a high priest. It's mentioned in scripture. All the way we see now that there is a, you see what I mean by God moving forward? God progressing, God moving forward, making a better covenant, because that's the God we serve. Amen. And so now this is a priesthood over the Jews, over Israel. Uh, Aaron's priesthood is a priesthood that is over Aaron. And so it established, it is the second uh, priesthood that's established. Earlier, when I read to you Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, you began to see the establishment of the third priesthood. And the third priesthood is the change or the new priesthood that comes through Jesus Christ, who is after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus becomes our high priest. But what you're going to see as you read through there, and we'll see it a couple times, and I'm going to point it out to you, that this new priesthood that is coming, or that has come through Jesus after the order of Melchizedek, it's not just a priest, and it's not just a high priest, but now in the book of Hebrews, you see it mentioned many times, that Jesus is now our great high priest. Aaron's descendants were never called great high priest. The first establishment of the priesthood were not called high priest. They were called priest. So now you have priest. Now you have uh, high priest. And now you have Jesus who is the great high priest. You see God moving. God is building a better covenant. God is bringing a better establishment to our lives. Now remember, we are kings and priests unto our God. 
Now we are carrying a priesthood in us as a believer. We have a right to a priesthood, but we have to understand how we got that priesthood. What does it mean to have, to be a priesthood, to live in a priesthood? I'm glad you asked because I've really been wanting to tell you. If you turn back to the book of Hebrews chapter 14, I'm going to read something to you. Or chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 14. Now a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, I taught about Nehemiah that God touched him. And because God touched him, he wanted to touch others. I use this scripture as a, as a point of reference because the Bible tells us something about Jesus. Remember I preached on the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter and that when we are touched by God, we have a desire to touch others. When Nehemiah was touched by God, he had a desire to touch his people. He had a desire to go where his people were and to make a difference. And when Jesus touches us, we want to touch others. And so uh, here we see this passage of scripture that I used a couple Sundays ago, and look what it says in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, seeing then that we have, what? A great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize or cannot be touched with with the uh, with, the, with our weaknesses, our, our infirmities, as some translations say, but was in all points tempted as we are without sin. That's important, without sin. Let us therefore come boldly through the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Now this passage of scripture calls Jesus our great high priest. And it portrays Jesus as the great high priest, not a priest, Not a high priest, but a great high priest. The writer of Hebrews, whoever that was, most of us believe it was Paul. I believe it was Paul. We don't know for sure, but most people, whoever this was, had an understanding of the priesthood because throughout the scripture, the references to the priesthood and to the Old Testament is phenomenal. In other words, uh, now God is raising up a great high priest. Now here it is. He, Jesus, why is Jesus a great high priest? He is a great high priest because Melchizedek was the priesthood over the Gentile nations. Is that right? And the Aaron priesthood was the priesthood over the Jewish nation. Is that not right? So we have these two establishing priesthoods that were of the Gentile nation and of the Jewish nation. But now we have Jesus who is our great high priest. Why is he a great high priest? Why is he better than the two priesthoods and covenant before? Because Jesus is not just high priest over Gentile nations. We are Gentiles. We're not Jew. Anybody that's not Jewish is a Gentile. And and Jesus' covenant is better. High priesthood is better. Why? Because Jesus is a high priest over both the Jew and the Gentile. Isn't that good news? He's just not one group of people. He's over all nations. He is the great high priest. He is a high priest that's a better covenant than any high priesthood that has ever been established. Under his high priesthood, we receive the the ability to walk in authority under the priesthood of Jesus. Now, I'm just beginning, okay? Hang in there with me. We are going somewhere. And, uh, And so, I'm not a believer. There are some doctrines that teach a dual uh, covenant. 
I don't believe the scripture teaches dual covenant, which says that the Jews are the Jews and the Gentiles are the Gentiles, that our covenants are different. I believe that, and I'm going to show you tonight, that I believe the Jew and the Gentiles covenant is one. And that there's no, there's no difference, that this is a one book book, that Jesus is a great high priest to both. Now, as we begin to look at this, um, and uh, we begin to see uh, one of the great pictures, one of the great pictures of this that kind of blows that theory of the fact that this is not a dual covenant between the Jews and uh, the Jews have their covenant and the Gentiles have theirs. Uh, one of the great pictures of this is Jesus when he is having communion with his disciples. In other words, when Jesus hands these 12 Jewish men the, uh, the wine and the, and the cup, he says to them, he says, this, this is the wine of the new covenant, right? Now, they're Jews. He said, this is the wine of the new covenant. Now, what did Melchizedek do when he made covenant with Abraham over the Gentile nations and became priests? What did he do? The Bible said they sat down and had a covenant meal together, right? They had a covenant meal together, which was an establishment of that covenant. Jesus here, as he had the last supper with his disciples who were Jews, Jesus offers them the cup of the New Testament. He offers them uh, uh, communion, and they take this communion. He said, this is my cup of the New Testament. And it's what we begin to see that after his resurrection, in the book of Acts chapter 9, we see a Gentile by the name of Paul who gets converted, or a Jew by the name of Paul who gets converted. And then in chapter 10, we see that Peter having the vision on the roof. Y'all remember he had the vision of the, of the food and Peter said, this is unclean. And the Lord said, don't call unclean what I have, have uh, made clean. In other words, what was he saying? He's saying now the covenant of the blood of Jesus is not just for the Jew, but it's for the Gentile also. He's revealing there in the Acts of the New Testament of his covenant, of his priesthood, that Jesus is for all nations and all mankind. And the Bible said in that same chapter that the Gentile Pentecost happened in Acts 10. Now, we had the Jewish Pentecost that happened in Acts 2. But in Acts 10, there was the Gentile Pentecost. Because the Bible says that as they gathered there at Cornelius' house, they were Gentiles. And they had asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you had believed? And the Bible said the Holy Spirit came down upon them and they began to speak with other tongues. In other words, the Gentiles were full with the Spirit. And so now you have this Gentile nation and Jewish nation that has come together, the same covenant under that priesthood. Now, uh, uh, I want to show you something here. That uh, the truth is, is that if we could really understand who we are, in Christ, we definitely would live a different way. But I believe the devil has lied to us and has stolen some of the principal roots of who we are as the church. Who you are as the church is not just rooted in the New Testament, but it's also rooted in the Old Testament. And that we are all children of God. We are all part of his great covenant. And so uh, I mentioned to you earlier that six times in three chapters, that there is this mentioning of Jesus as the great high priest. And I want to show you 
not only does these chapters, these, these verses, in these six verses and three chapters about the order of Melchizedek, uh, about Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek, but in, in all of these scriptures, it calls Jesus priest, it calls him high priest, and it calls him great high priest. Let's look at some of them really quickly. Uh, in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6, and uh, I want you to see something here. In chapter 5 and verse 6, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He's speaking of Jesus, right? Here he calls him a priest. Look at verse 10. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. In verse 6, six, he refers to him as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 10, he refers to him as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. If you'll look over to chapter 6 and verse, um, uh, verse 20, the Bible tells us, it tells us again uh, that he calls Jesus uh, again, uh, or actually, yeah, verse six, chapter 6, verse 20, sorry, chapter 6, verse 20. Um, let me get there. Hang with me. Okay. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having come our high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Here again he calls him the high priest again. Now in chapter 7 and verse 11, which is the scripture we read before, it calls him what? The great high priest. So here in these chapters and in these verses, he is mentioned as the great high priest. Look at Hebrews chapter uh, 7 and verse um, 17. It says, and he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He says it again in verse 21. For they, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. Chapter 5 and verse 10 um, and 11. Verse 11 says, um, uh, uh, you, are, you are called by God as a high priest according to order of Melchizedek. But verse 11 is interesting. It says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have, but it's hard to explain uh, because you have such dull hearing. In other words, what he's saying is, we're telling you that that Jesus has become the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, but there's more for us to explain to you, but you've become dull in your hearing. In other words, it's a way of saying, you're not mature enough to handle what we really need to explain to you. It's really what is being said. You have, you have become of dull hearing. And so now, here we have priesthood. We have the priest after the order of Melchizedek. We have the high priesthood after the order of Aaron. And we have the great high priest, which is Jesus who is the supreme high priest overall. And so he's the great high priest. God, we see where God has built upon it all. Now, this is where I wanted to get to. This is where I want to take you. This is the good stuff. And we've got a few minutes. All right. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Here's the question. Here's the great question. And... Uh, uh, how in the world, um, well, I'll save it. I'll save it for just a second. I'll save it for just Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. 
And I want to read this to you. And, uh, and so we know that Jesus uh, said here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but what does it say? But to fulfill. Now, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, not to uh, uh, render, uh, you know, destroyed. And so now, here's the thing. If Jesus, the law is the Torah, right? That's the, the Old Testament law, is considered the Torah, Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. If Jesus broke the law, he would be what? He'd be a sinner, right? So he had to keep the law. He could not. He had to fulfill the law. And, and, and he could not become, he could not break the law and be a high priest. He had to keep the law. So Jesus had to keep the law, and he said he came to fulfill it, not to destroy it or abolish it. And, and so we know that what uh, the Bible says, that Jesus was both king he was king, prophet, and priest, as the scripture tells us. And so we know that he was king. He was called king of the what? King of the Jews. In Luke chapter 23, verse 38 is a passage. Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 2 tells us that Jesus came as king of the Jews. Now, a king has a kingdom, right? And the Bible says, so a king has a kingdom. A prophet has a message. Is that not right? The Bible says that Jesus was both king, prophet, and a high priest, our priest. And so uh, we read in Luke 24, 19, that Jesus uh, was referred to as a prophet. Matter of fact, he's referred to as a prophet even today among Orthodox Jews. Consider him a great prophet, still consider him a great prophet. And so Jesus fulfilled the law, uh, and, and, and so but it calls him a high priest. Now, here's the interesting thing. By law, Jesus could not become high priest because of one reason. Some say he could not become high priest because of one reason. Because in order to become high priest, you had to come from the descendants of who? The descendants of Aaron. Is that not right? And that what we read in, in Exodus chapter 28, that to be the priesthood, you had to come from the uh, lineage of Aaron. You had to come from his priesthood. And so, but Jesus did not come from Aaron's, Aaron's lineage. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. So how can Jesus be our great high priest if he had, was not a descendant of Aaron? How could he take over the priesthood? How could he step into a place of the priesthood, right, if, if he wasn't our great high priest? Now, this is where it gets really good. I'm telling you, you all going to leave here shouting tonight. This is where it gets good. Turn to Luke chapter 7. I want to take you through something. I want you to see something. And Luke chapter 7, and this is an awesome, amazing passage of Scripture. Now, I'm going to read verses 24 and 28 first, and then I want to go back and read some of the verses that lead up to that, and then tell you something, and then come back and explain this. All right? So hang with me. I am going somewhere. 
Luke chapter 7, verses 24 and uh, 28. The Bible tells us when the messengers of John had departed, okay, those were the, John's disciples, um, had departed, he began to speak the, to the multitudes concerning John. Now, this is Jesus. He's talking about John. He said this. He said, what did, uh, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? He's speaking of John. A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garment? Indeed, those who are uh, uh, generous or uh, gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. Okay, now he's telling of John. John was a forerunner. The prophet says John was a forerunner. John the Baptist, he, 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 he wore sackcloth and he ate locusts. Y'all know John the Baptist, okay? He's telling of John, verse 26, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. So Jesus is saying, yes, what you saw was a prophet. What did you go out hoping to see when you went out to see John, who preached, who preached repentance through baptism, right? This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare a way before you. Now that's the prophecy of John. But look what Jesus says in verse 28 about John. He says, for I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now, he's speaking as a prophet, John the Baptist. But listen to this. Look what the last part of this verse. He says, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. In other words, greater than John. Now think about this for a second. Here's what he's saying. There's no greater prophet than John. But what I'm telling you are, all of you among us, you, the least of you, are greater than John. What's he mean when he says that you're greater than John? What does that mean, that he's, he's, he's announcing the fact that you are greater than John, that we're greater than John? What does that mean to us um, uh, when it comes to being greater than John? Now, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. I'm going to come back to that, hold that spot because we are coming back there. But Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15, this is Jesus' baptism. Now chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, begins Jesus' baptism. Now, um, remember the phrase, the least of us is greater than John. Here we're at Jesus' baptism, and Jesus comes to be baptized. And he comes, we know that this is the part where Jesus comes, and really this is what launches his ministry. After he leaves this baptism, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days, right? This really launches the ministry of Jesus. But look at this exchange between Jesus and John. In verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Jesus comes to be baptized. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized of you. And are you, and you are coming to me. Jesus said, now look at verse 15. This is key. He said, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it, it to be so now. Thus, listen, thus fitting, to to, thus fitting for us to fulfill righteousness. Okay? 
And he says, then he allowed him. Okay, now what's taking place here? What are we seeing here? Jesus comes to John to be baptized. John says, Jesus, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus says, no. Jesus says, I have to be baptized by you and you alone. And there's a reason why. Because I have to fulfill righteousness. Now, what does that mean? It means this. Jesus came to fulfill the law, right? Not to do away with the law. So in order to fulfill the law, he had to abide by it, and he had to understand it, and he had to be obedient to it. Now, do you remember what the name of Melchizedek means? His first part of his name meant king, right? What did the second part of his name mean? Righteousness. Jesus said, I came to be baptized by you that I may be to fulfill righteousness. Okay? Now, what is Jesus? He is a priest, a great high priest, after the order of who? Melchizedek. His name means king and righteousness. Jesus says, John, I have to be baptized by you because I have to fulfill righteousness. Now, whew, it gets better. I mean, real good. It gets real good. So, by law, by the law and the prophets, by the Old Testament, who was John? Why John? Why did Jesus have to go to John to be baptized by John? Well, I'm glad you asked. What happened here? Jesus comes to the Jordan. Now, when a priest would change priesthoods, when one high priest would change to another high priest, two things would happen. One is, in that priesthood, that the former high priest would set with the, the coming in high priest, and they would share a meal. That would be covenant. Then the second thing they would do is that that coming in high priest had to be immersed in water by the previous high priest in order to be able to, for the cleansing. Around the temple, they had what was called uh, migfa baths. They were pools of water. They were, I don't know if they were wells or if they were, they were places where when you would come to the temple, before you could walk into the temple court, you would have to cleanse yourself. You would have to get in these baths and wash yourself. Well, the high priest, before he stepped into the high priesthood, he would have to get in one of these baths and he would have to immerse himself and wash himself in these baths. So why didn't Jesus just go to the temple if he was going to become a new order of priesthood, why didn't Jesus just go to the temple and get in the mikvah baths and wash himself clean and then walk into the temple? Well, remember what Jesus had to do. He had to fulfill the law. If he didn't fulfill the law, he'd be a sinner. Is that not right? And if Jesus was a sinner, he could not take the place as the high priest. So he said, John, you are baptizing me because... For us, he included John, for us is fulfilling righteousness. Now, I know, hang in there, because listen, here's the thing. I don't know if you knew who the high priest was at the time of Jesus. It's mentioned in scripture several times. He's a guy by the name of Caiaphas. Y'all heard of Caiaphas, right? It's who Jesus stood before in the trial, right? His name is Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest. Now, if Jesus is bringing a new order of high priesthood into the kingdom, would he not have Caiaphas 
baptize him instead of John? Right? Would that not make sense? I mean, because if that's, that's the law, you have to fulfill righteousness, and Jesus has to fulfill the law, and that's what they did in the Old Testament. One priesthood would, would immerse the other coming in priesthood as a sign of cleansing and washing. Why did Jesus not go to Caiaphas? Well, I'll tell you why. Caiaphas was not a true high priest. Caiaphas was appointed by the governor of Rome. Caiaphas was a political appointee. He was not a direct descendant of Aaron. Because of the the uprising in Palestine and in Jerusalem that the governors of Rome and Caesar wanted Caiaphas to be in charge of the temple because he knew that if he had somebody that was politically appointed, he could control him as he offered his life in the high priesthood. Caiaphas was not a legitimate high priest. He was a poser, as we would say. He was a poser. He wasn't a true high priest. He held the office, but he was not the true high priest. Now, I'm going to show you who the true high priesthood came through and who it should have been. Look to the book of Luke, chapter 1. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, remember now, we read in Scripture that the priesthood had to come through Aaron. Is that not right? You had to be a descendant of Aaron, Aaron's sons. They had to be a descendant of Aaron and who Aaron was. Now, hang with me. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. Luke chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse 5. Now, remember, um, Caiaphas was not a descendant. Actually, we're not quite sure uh, who Caiaphas was a direct descendant of. And the only reason we know that Caiaphas wasn't a direct descendant, the scripture never tells us of what tribe he's from, but Josephus. How many ever heard of Josephus? Anybody ever heard of Josephus? Josephus was a historian. He was a uh, uh, historian. I believe he was a Roman. Was, was he a Roman? Uh, I, I'm not, I don't know if he was a Roman. I believe he was a Roman historian. And he recorded a lot of the things that happened in Jesus' day. Matter of fact, through the writings of Josiah, which is a secular writing, we confirm a lot of what the Bible says. Josephus wrote in one of his writings, and I believe it's called the uh, Antiquities. Um, uh, you can actually buy the book and read it. It's called The Wars of Antiquity uh, high, that uh, Josephus wrote. In The Wars of Antiquity, Josephus wrote that Caiaphas was a political appointee, that he was not a descendant of Aaron, that he was, he was a poser. He was put there in place. So a lot of that comes from, uh, comes from uh, Josephus, but it makes sense. And we know that through, I mean, there's other writings that convert. Erdeman says that uh, they actually do not know who Caiaphas was from, but they do know that he was not of the descendants of Aaron. They know that for a fact. So here in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, I want you to see something. Look at verse 5. And it says, There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. All right? What did it say? He was a priest, right? Named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Of the division of the, of the lineage of Abijah. Now, who's Abijah? Abijah is a descendant of Aaron. How do you know that Abijah is a descendant of Aaron? Because if you look at the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, and verse 12, it lists, Nehemiah lists all of the priests that went back to, with Ezra, 
to the, uh, rebuild the temple, Abijah was one of the descendants of Aaron, the priest that went back in the book of Nehemiah with, uh, uh, with Zerubbabel, I mean, went back with uh, Zerubbabel uh, to set up the priesthood uh, in Jerusalem after the fall of Jerusalem. So he is a descendant of Aaron. Zacharias is a, not only is Zacharias a descendant of Aaron, look at the powder part. His wife was of the daughter, daughters of who? Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. And what's it say about them? They were blameless. You know who that is? That's John the Baptist's mom and dad. That's John's mom and dad. Guess who's of the order of Aaron? John the Baptist. Guess who should have been high priest over Israel at that time? John the Baptist. John the Baptist should have been the high priest. Why do you think that the Roman government hated John? Why do you think Caiaphas hated John? So what does Jesus do? He has to fulfill the law, right? So to fulfill the law, he doesn't go to Caiaphas. He goes to John. Why does he go to John? Because John is the rightful one who's to hold the priesthood of Israel, and he is the one that is the rightful high priest. Whoo, isn't that good? I'm telling you, God's smart. And Jesus goes to John because why? There's an exchange of the priesthood. It's going from the Aramaic priesthood now to the order of Melchizedek. And remember, the high priest had to emerge, the incoming high priest, and so that the exchange could take place. Jesus had to be, had to be baptized by John. Why? To fulfill the righteousness of the priesthood. So that the priesthood would be pure. So that Jesus would rightly take the place of the priesthood according to the law and according to the obedience of God's word. Jesus could not break the law or he would be a sinner. Whew. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. I don't know if that gets your wood wet, but it gets my wood wet. Why? Because John, in Matthew 3, Jesus comes. And, and in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12, it talks about there is what? What did it say in Hebrews uh, 7, verse 12, after verse 11? It said, there is coming a changing to the priesthood because the, Arama uh, the Adamic priesthood, or Aaron's priesthood, was not fulfilled and perfect, could not fulfill. So there was the changing of the priesthood that was coming after the order of Melchizedek. Why? Because the priesthood that was coming through Jesus would be able to fulfill every aspect of the law, and Jesus would be the supreme sacrifice, and he would become our high priest. Whoo! So because of the changing of the priesthood, Jesus did not have to become from the descendants of Aaron, but Jesus was from a descendant of Melchizedek. That's why he did not have to come through Aaron, because there was this changing of the priesthood, right? Now, go back to Luke, because I want to show you something. You say, well, you got to show me this more. you got to show me more of this. And I may just get through this and, and be it, but you've got to show me more of this. You've got to show me that John, 
you know, really, you know, I, I know you're showing me in Scripture that he's of the line of Aaron and that Jesus here is coming to John to fulfill righteousness. And you got to show me a little bit more. I'm going to show you. Turn to, book, turn, turn to Luke where we were just a minute ago. And uh, uh, Luke uh, chapter 7. But I want you to back up all the way to verse 18. I read to you verses 24 to 28. Now knowing what I just told you, I want you to read this passage of Scripture with me because I want you to see it now. Now that I've shared with you, I want you to see the power of this passage of Scripture and how powerful this word is. Listen to this. This, this, this will absolutely, get, if you don't get goosebumps, I'm going to check your pulse. This is how good this is. Listen to what he says. Verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, Sent them to who? To Jesus. So John, okay, John had what? He, he, he had sent two of his disciples to Jesus. Why? We're going to find out. And so he sends two of his disciples to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Okay, so John, he sends his disciples to Jesus And he wants them to ask Jesus, are you the coming Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Are you the one who is to be the Messiah? In verse 20, they come to Jesus and they say, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now remember, John is going to be baptizing Jesus. John is, 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 we'll see in John chapter 1, that when he sees Jesus coming before his baptism, he says, he looks at Jesus and he says what? This is the Lamb of God that, what? The Lamb takes away the sins of the world. Now before John could say that, he had to come to the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah. And that Jesus, that Jesus was, was the coming one. Now look how he does that. They asked him, are you the coming one? And look what Jesus does. This is just interesting. In verse, in, in verse 21, it says, and at that very hour, say at that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered in verse 22 and said to them, go and tell John things you have seen and heard. Hang with me. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. So they come and they say, John wants to know if you are the Messiah. And Jesus, at that hour, starts healing people, starts letting the lame to walk, opening the eyes of the blind. Jesus starts doing signs and wonders and miracles, right? Now, if John is the rightful, if John is the rightful uh, person who is to be the high priest, he's still under the old covenant, right? He's still under the old covenant. He's still under the old covenant, the old priesthood, after the priesthood of Aaron. Now, John baptized the baptism of repentance, 
But John did not do one miracle. John did not heal the sick. John did not open the eyes. He did not open the hearing of anybody. John didn't do one miracle. And so, what do we say about the priesthood of the Old Testament? That it was a type and shadow? That what we saw in the natural in the Old Testament became a spiritual reality in the New, Test- in the, in the New Testament? John representing the old order, the old priesthood. Remember last week we went through the garments, right? Now, I want to show you something. Uh, pull up those priestly garments of just the, just the uh, high priest in his white garments. Last week we talked about the high priest that when um, uh, he would be in the outer court, that he would have on two garments. He had on the undergarments, which represented the breeches, uh, the one just white, not that one. We'll come to that in just a second. Uh, but just the breeches, which represented our salvation, the robe, the linen robe over top, that robe there represented righteousness. And so when the priesthood would walk with those on, those were what we called the wedding garments. We talked about that last week. Now, I want you to see something here. John did not do one miracle. John did not uh, perform one miracle. But when the priest would go into the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place, he would put, another, he would put something else on. He would put on the blue robe of uh, uh, the blue robe and just show that blue robe. And remember, we talked last week, that is the, that is the blue robe. And remember what we talked about? It was at the bottom of it. There was pomegranates and bells, right? We explained what that meant. And, and so the wedding garment of righteousness was put over the head. That represented that only righteousness could come from God, from above. They would also put this garment over the head. And it represented the Holy Spirit. Is that not right? It represented the Holy Spirit. And so there was the bells at the bottom, which represented sound, which represented the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is present, there is a sound, there is a, a manifestation of his presence. So when the Holy Spirit comes and he's moving among us, a lot of times there's a release of what? There's the release of the gifts of the Spirit and there's a release of the fruit of the Spirit. The noise of the bells represented the Holy Spirit is present. The pomegranates were between the bells, which made the sound pleasing. And the pomegranates represented the fruit of the Spirit. And so you had to have love, and you had to have the, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit operating when the Spirit of God came, right? And so the priest only wore that into the holy place. And it represented the signs and wonders and miracles of the priesthood. John never wore that because John always was the picture of the Old Testament priesthood. The Old Testament priesthood did not do miracles, but what happened? When Jesus became, after the order of Melchizedek, he represented, he put on the Holy Spirit, right? And Jesus did what? He did signs, wonders, and miracles, and so what we have is, is that why did Jesus, why did he do signs and miracles and wonders when John's disciples came to him and asked him if he was the Holy One? Because those signs, wonders, and miracles confirmed to John that a greater priesthood had showed up, that another order was here. Those signs, wonders, and miracles was a sign to John that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the coming Messiah, and there was a new priesthood that was coming. Woo, y'all get that? 
And so Jesus did sign wonders and miracles, but here's, here, here's what we learn about Jesus' baptism. Now, why was Jesus baptized in the Jordan? Why did he, John, who came in and out of Jerusalem, why did he not baptize him in one of the mikvah baths that were outside the city? You know why? Because the Jordan River is a picture of transition and change. Anytime there was a change in Israel's history, the Jordan River was a part of it. The Jordan River was a part of Israel's history, of their change. What did they do when they went from the, when they went from the wilderness into the promised land? Where did they cross? The Jordan River. The Jordan River was always, is always in Scripture, a picture of change. What's happening? John, who is the rightful, rightful position of the priesthood, is baptizing Jesus to fulfill righteousness, but he's not doing it in the mikvah bath because Jesus is fulfilling the law, but he's doing it in the Jordan because the Jordan represents change. What's being changed? The priesthood. There's a change in the priesthood. Jesus is being baptized into this change, into the, after the order of Melchizedek. And, and John, listen, John would have understood sacrifice. When he looked at Jesus and said, this is the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world, the Jordan is a place of change. It is a place uh, uh, where all righteousness is fulfilled Melchizedek is king in righteousness. The priesthood is being changed. John is the legal heir. And, and so he's passing one priesthood on to the other priesthood and, 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 and transferring that priesthood onto Jesus. And so what we have is we have this changing of the priesthood, the baptism of the Jordan. And it's a powerful thing. And so we begin to see this. Now, I'm going to close with this, and uh, because I wanted us to, I want us to see this. I want us to see something here at the end that uh, you may not have seen. So, John baptizes Jesus. Jesus becomes the order of Melchizedek. The priesthood is changing, and so once the priesthood is changed, there has to be a sacrifice, because uh, a king is not a king without a kingdom. A prophet is not a prophet without a message, and a priest is not a priest without an altar and without a sacrifice, right? So now there has to be a sacrifice, but in order to be a sacrifice, there has to be a high priest to offer that sacrifice, and so right now, Caiaphas holds the office of the priesthood, even though it's illegitimate. Even though it's in disobedience to God's word, even though it's corrupt, he still has the office. Now, how many know that you could be in an office and have a title, but you could be corrupt on the inside, but there's certain things that that office gives you because you hold the title of that office. Is that not right? I mean, have we not seen that with presidents? They have a title, which in right gives them rights to certain privileges, but the fact is, you could still be corrupt and hold the highest office in the land. But we respect what? We respect the office 
not always the man. And Jesus always respected the office. Jesus is showing us how to respond to authority. Caiaphas was the high priest. Caiaphas was the, was, he was, he held the office. And though he was corrupt, and though Israel was, this is how corrupt Israel was. There was no Ark of the Covenant inside the temple. It had been lost. It had been gone. Uh, the last they heard, the Ethiopians had it years before. It was never inside Herod's temple. This is how corrupt the priesthood was. That Caiaphas was never really a descendant. In other words, the whole priesthood, it was all a show. It was all a sham. They had all the religious activity, but there was no righteousness involved. They walked around. That's why Jesus would come out and say, you brought a vipers. On the outside, you're pretty, but on the inside, you're like snakes, and you're, you're corrupt, and you're dirty. And Jesus confronted them. You remember Jesus confronting them in the temple about their state and their corruptness. But they still had the positions, and Caiaphas still had the position. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to, uh, uh, I'll give you the passages of Scripture. And uh, now, in Exodus chapter 28, when it talked about the priesthood, that blue robe that you saw, put up the full priest up there with his robe and stones and everything on. The, the, uh, uh, you will see that when he's dressed and he has that robe on, in Exodus chapter 28, the Bible says that that blue garment that he's wearing, that blue garment had to be, in Exodus 28, verses 31, it says that the, uh, Moses said that the collar of that garment had to be reinforced. And it was reinforced because cursed is the man who would tear or render his garments. He would be cursed, and any priest that did it, it would be immediate death unto his life. Why? What are you tearing? You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That garment represents the Holy Spirit. And when a priest would rip that, He'd be ripping, he'd be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So, so that he wouldn't, Moses said, reinforce that collar strong so that it could not be ripped. In order for it to be ripped, it would take tremendous force and anger. Because in those days, in the Bible days, when they would become angry, what they do? They would rip their garments. How many times have we read that? They would render their garments. So here's Jesus, Caiaphas' high priest. Jesus is brought before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Right? Where's the first place they take Jesus? They take Jesus to Caiaphas. First, Jesus comes in, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus comes in, he's brought before Caiaphas, and uh, he's brought there before Caiaphas, and uh, he's brought before him. Caiaphas is what? He's the high priest. He's a poser, but he's the high priest. He has the office. Jesus has been baptized by John. He is now, after the order of Melchizedek, he is going to be the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. He is after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus can't just take the priesthood. So they have this kind of this trial with Jesus. And they go back and forth and they're asking Jesus these questions. They're saying, you know, you made the statement that if the temple was destroyed, you could rebuild it in three days. And they had all these witnesses against Jesus, and they were coming up with these things. And, and, and Jesus, the Bible said in verse 63, it said, he kept silence through the whole thing. 
But then all of a sudden, after all of these witnesses and all this accusation, all of a sudden, the high priest Caiaphas begins to speak. And he says, some have said that you say, I'm paraphrasing, that you are the Son of God. And Jesus is still silent. But then Caiaphas does something. He said, I bid you. He said, I command you, another, by an oath, to swear an oath, to tell us this day if you are the Son of God. Now, Jesus had been silent up to then, but now Jesus could not be silent. You know why Jesus couldn't be silent? Jesus couldn't be silent because in the book of Leviticus, the Bible says that the high priest had the authority and the right to demand an answer from you. If he demanded it, you would have to answer. And if a man didn't answer, he would break the law of Moses. Remember, Jesus came to what? Fulfill the law. If Jesus would have broke the law, he would have been a sinner. Now Caiaphas is saying, you say you're the son of God. I asked you by an oath, are you the son of God? Now Jesus, according to the law, has to answer Caiaphas. And what does he say? Jesus says, as you have said. Jesus says to him, I am the son of the living God. And he answers. Now, guess what happens? Caiaphas stands up, and guess what he does? He rents his clothes. Do you remember what it said in the book of Exodus, chapter 28? That the garment, the high priest's garment, when you wore the ephod, you were not to render that garment, because if you rendered that garment, you would be the penalty of death. Not only is it the penalty of death, but Caiaphas, at that moment when he ripped his garments, he nullified his high priesthood. He no longer was high priest. He became ineligible, as we would say in English terms. He no longer was able to operate. Listen, he was corrupt on the inside. He wasn't even after the order of Aaron, but he had the office. But when he ripped his collar, he nullified the office. Now, now he disqualified himself from the priesthood. And now, since he disqualified himself from the priesthood, guess what? Jesus, by his sacrifice, whew, and by his blood, became the supreme sacrifice, and he stepped into the order of Melchizedek as our great high priest. Isn't that good stuff? Hallelujah. Praise God. Stand with me if you would. Now I want to share, I want you to go home and I want you to look at a passage of scripture. I want you to look and read uh, John 19 and the crucifixion of Jesus. Because Jesus, the Bible said this, he said, now if Jesus is a high priest, he had to provide a sacrifice. This happened, listen, this happened in Jerusalem in the moment of the feast, in the feast of the Passover, all this happened. 
And now, in the next morning, there had to be a sacrifice for the nation. Caiaphas couldn't do it because he disqualified himself. I mean, I didn't keep him. He was corrupt anyway, so he didn't, you know, he wasn't put to death. We don't know. But there had to be a sacrifice in order to fulfill the law. So the Bible says that Jesus says that I lay down my life. No one takes it. In other words, as the great high priest, he lays down his life as a sacrifice. No one takes his life, but he lays it down for us. He lays his life down. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, Now, in John 19, what happens is, if you remember when Jesus was on the cross, the soldiers took his garments. You remember that? And the Bible says they took his garments, and four of them took his garments and divided his garments. In other words, they took his garments, they ripped his garments into fours and gave to each of the Roman soldiers. But then the Bible says this, it says they took his tunic, but they didn't rip his tunic. You know why they didn't rip his tunic? Because the tunic represented the robe. And the Bible said that if that would have been rent, it would have nullified his priesthood. And the Bible says that they did not rent the tunic, but it was seamless and in one piece. So Jesus' supreme sacrifice. He went to the cross. He died on the cross. He was put on the cross at 9 a.m. and came off at 3 p.m exact time that the priesthood was sacrificing for the nation. There's so much more there we could talk about. But the last words of Jesus was, it is finished. Magnar is what it is in the Hebrew. It's what the priests would, would say once they made sacrifice. They would stretch out their arms and they would say, Magnar which means it's finished. The sacrifice has been made. Jesus was already on a cross stretching out. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.